All right, it's the DT difference. It's 30 years experience in the game. DT systems. E-collars we've been using for a while now, but let's quickly talk about their dummy launchers. They got the Super Pro dummy launcher and the remote dummy launcher. It's a great way for you and your dog to get ready for duck season. Loud bangs. Make sure your dog's cool with gunfire before you use it. But I want you to add it to your repertoire, bag of tricks, and get you and your dog ready for duck season. It's the Super Pro Dummy Launcher by DT. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it. You and your dog can be successful in it and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. What's going on, everybody? This is another episode of Lone Ducks Gundog Chronicles. We've got episode, episode, episode 37. Kevin and I are hanging out here in his office man cave recording studio. You're making it sound terrible. He's got a library of books, everybody. Unbroken by Lauren Hildebrand. Bet that book sucks. Brain on Fire by Susanna Kalahalan. Sucks. Those aren't my books, but that's all right. We can Dog Life, A Golden Retriever. Nerd. Gift. <laughs> Gift. Uh, mostly Tail Feathers. That's what Kevin sees when he misses. Uh, what else you got? Do we got to keep going through this? The History of Oswego County, New York, 1816 to 2016. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. All right, guys, this episode (laughs) in Kevin's library of reading is brought to you by Waypoint Outdoor Collective and old Yukonuba, the sporting dog. 3020 is what we've been feeding. Uh, We're going to dabble a little bit in a couple other blends, but we are enjoying the partnership we've got with these guys. Super good to us and the retriever and Upland Bird Dog community. Uh, if you don't follow them, check them out at Yukonuba Sporting Dog. The old hashtag you can do it, baby. Not the baby part. I added that for punctuation. It's like my exclamation point. 
Um, welcome to another episode. Thank you for joining us, guys. This podcast is rolling. We have so many cool people reaching out, listening, tuning in, asking questions. Can't believe the feedback, the the positive response. So thank you. Do us a favor if you're digging it. Give us the old five star review. Subscribe. We had someone recently write a five star review. Appreciate it. Thank and you. And then, yep, absolutely. But say. Not because you told me to, <laughs> but but something along the lines of like, I know you told me to do this anyways, but uh, I still like it. Thanks, guys. Nice. <laughs> appreciate That's it. That's fair. Honesty. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, seriously, thank you for the support and tuning in. It really means a lot to us. You know, Kevin and I put in long days and to come here at Kevin's house at, I think it's like nine o'clock now and rip out an energetic, enthusiastic, fun podcast can be tough sometimes, but the feedback we get, the interviews we do, it makes it so yeah. worth it. It's yeah. a blast. So, guys, keep the questions coming. Keep the feedback coming. Unless that feedback sucks like Kevin's library, then you can keep it to yourself. Also, uh, if people have great ideas for guests or people that we should interview, hit us up. Encourage people to come on the show. Yeah, we've got some cool people lined up for the rest of September and October, but uh, we're always interested. Right, squeeze something in, yeah. Yeah, always interested in hearing from you all. So, all right, let's get into this episode. Weekend in review. Ooh, if you all listened and have been binge listening Lone Ducks Gundog Chronicles, you may remember an episode called Humble Pie. Well, guess who ate another big old piece of that at the hunt test this weekend? I did. I'm going to give you a little uh, rundown. It was a single junior, so Saturday was the junior hunt test, and Sunday was the senior hunt test. My master dogs didn't make it into this hunt test, so they got the weekend off, and I ran all the other dogs in junior and senior. Well, we had three dogs in junior. The old first dog, Lincoln, stinking Lincoln. Thinking Lincoln. He wasn't thinking that day, buddy. Um... Man, he's young, super well-bred, phenomenal dog. I love him. I love training him. He's talented. He he He's a good dog. Yeah. Way capable of this. Yep. Almost done with his program, right? And, and he is ready. But he's a dog. But he's a dog. And he acted like a dog, and he acted like a 9-, 10-month-old puppy that he is. And the first bird that came out, in junior, it's just a single, uh, two singles so the first bird comes out and it's a dinker it's like 30 <laughs> yards away or less and lincoln has got a big motor on him and loves to run and runs big marks like the big dogs right well he rolled over top of that bird 100 miles an hour ran past it ran into the weeds hunted his head and butt off and couldn't find it just could not find it and you know he doesn't handle so you can't blow a whistle and push him to it he had to hunt and he hunted and he hunted and he hunted intelligently he just hunted 30 yards further away from the bird than he should because he was excited and a puppy yeah and and he he just couldn't find the bird and finally, the judge told me that, you know, I'm, he was sorry and to call the dog back. How much time had kind of gone by at this point? God, it felt like an hour. 
I mean, to me, my heart yeah. is pounding and my heart is in my throat. Yeah. Um, you know, a minute. I don't know. Really? They call it? I feel like I've seen. It couldn't have been a minute. I've seen him where it's like, okay, like dogs peeing over here. It's, no, he, you yeah, know, he going over that's there. The thing. He and wasn't it, screwing around. He right. was hunting. They let him go. I mean, I don't know, dude. It, it felt like a long time. It wasn't five minutes. It wasn't two minutes. It, yeah. it was probably a minute long where he was just out in left field hunting deep and never checked down to the bird. And, you know, young dog being a young dog. Right. Next up was Gino, the chocolate lab, and Gino hammered it. Very proud of him. There you go. And then the third dog was Hudson. And Hudson is more level-headed than Stinkin' Lincoln. Lincoln's high-rolling. Hudson is extremely enthusiastic, hard-driving, good dog, too. Very talented. But he's just level-headed. So he goes out, steps on that first bird, brings it back. Second bird is a live flyer. Live flyer gets shot, wing-clipped, and is flapping around on the ground. Now, he's picked up a bunch of birds that have been shackled or shot. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, he acted like a puppy. He steamrolled this duck. Like, you know how a, a dog will go after a goose and tackle it? Oh, it's like watching a rodeo. Dude, he tackled this duck. And I'm like, woo at a dog. Woo, good boy. Come on, bring, you know, here. At the hunt test? Hell yeah, he steamrolled it. <laughs> <laughs> So, I didn't know you could talk to the dog like that. Probably not. Too, I don't yeah. give a crap. But I'm, I'm like. <laughs> Cheering him up. Yeah, I'm like, dude, that was awesome. Yeah, buddy. And he pops up after steamrolling it, bounces around, looks at the gunner station, runs over there, runs over here, runs around, takes a couple hot laps. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He doesn't have the duck, by the way. He's just steamrolled it. And then, like, as he tumbled and whatever, just screwed off yeah and pup stuff pu- yep just acted like a puppy this isn't what he does normally in training is everybody always tells me that too when they come and train with me and their dog does something stupid they're like oh he never does this well hudson doesn't do this either he farted around hunted like now he can't find it again because he's out in left field and the judge is like oh bob i'm so sorry you're gonna have to pick him up i'm like jeez all right, Hudson, here. Sure as shit. Doesn't he run over to that duck, pick it up, and bring it back to me? I'm like, damn. Are you kidding Yeah. <laughs> He's out, though. Yeah. So they already called it. Right. So That's too bad. So he just wanted to play around. Yep. And, and again, these dogs are so capable of the work. that They it, do the work. Oh, yeah, every day. It was heartbreaking. I'm, I'm not a sore loser by any chance. You know, we weren't raised that way. We never cried when we lost a game. We never, like, pouted. We took it on the chin, worked harder next time, and went out and tried to win the next game. And that, But that doesn't make it easier to fail. And it doesn't make it easy to call a client and, a, and friends and say, I'm really sorry to tell you this. Your dog didn't do it. Right. It's really hard phone call to make. So the guys took it okay. Um, we're going to hit it again this weekend. We got a double junior this weekend, so Saturday and Sunday. There you go. Where's that at? We're going to Chardon, Ohio. How far away is that? Uh, it's about four and a half hours. I run there often. It's a great group of people. The tests are great. I love it. 
Um, so they got another shot at it. On Sunday, we ran the senior dogs, and I couldn't have had a better time. Like, from being down in the dumps on Saturday and bummed, pissed, frustrated, you know, just straight up, dis- you know, I'm not mad at you, I'm disappointed, you know? It, yeah, it but is that's what it is. worse. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean, though. I mean, cause what are you going to say to the dog? Like, oh, sorry, they buddy, like, screwed exactly. Up. Yeah, I mean, they so, just... It is what it is. So I mean, Sunday, had we had day. Faith in Senior... Addie, the golden retriever in senior, and her owner, it was the first hunt test he'd ever ran, and he ran her. Um, a dog that I bought, sold, and, you know, helped train, his name is Violet. And Violet was running? Yep, Violet ran senior. Really? Then my friend Jake and his dog, Ollie, they ran senior, their first senior ever. So Faith got her third senior pass and smoked it. Nice. Addie and John smoked it jake smoked it and violet got her senior title and smoked it so it really was uh just gratifying yeah super gratifying especially watching them the clients and friends run the dogs that i've worked with them and watch them grind and learn and make mistakes and come back better show up and kick the test butt and it wasn't an easy one the land the land walk-up bird was super in their face, very much encouraging breaking. It was tough. Um, the blind wasn't too hard, but the marks were tough. Then the water, you know, kind of a short, easy bird on the first bird, and then the second bird was a big, long swim, and the birds were landing in the reeds uh, amongst a bunch of decoys. So some of the dogs were getting hung up in the decoys and, and having weird hunts and our dogs just smoked it. So I was very proud of that. So we're going to run another test this weekend in Chardon. Master dogs. We got Kenai and Blondie going to run their first master test ever. Really? Mm. That's exciting. Stepping up to the big leagues, man. And I'm into it. Now uh, talk about those two dogs a little bit. Because Blond- some of those, like, I don't think people really. Uh, I mean, Bond- Blondie's been around for a little while, but I don't know if she gets as much love on Instagram or anything like that just because. Well, I don't really know why. Yeah. I don't see her as much. Yeah, my bad, Blondie. <laughs> um, Blondie's a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. I believe she's three years old. Um, she came to me last winter for our southern trip to Charleston and couldn't do anything, really. Like She, she had just maybe got her junior title, and we got her running blinds and got her senior title in the spring. She went home for like two months and then came back. Let's say in June or early yeah, something July, like that. maybe early July, and she has good days and bad days, man. Um, she's capable of the work on her good days. When she has uh, a good attitude and level-headed and all that stuff, she can step on every mark and hammer blinds. If she goes into chessy mode, she can bobble it. So it's my job as a trainer and handler to manage those kind of days and really, really encourage the good days. And um, so, go ahead. Yeah, like so when you when you say like kind of her attitude and, and I know you mean by like chessy and a little hard headed stubbornness, but like 
how do you diagnose and then react to said diagnosis of like how do I fix this and how do I work with the dog so I'm coaching it? Good Does that question. make sense? Yeah, no, no, no. Totally makes sense. It, you got to read the dog. So it's all body language and, you know, when I can tell what she's going to do when she comes off the truck. Does she look happy or does she look like, ugh, we're running blinds? Or is she come off the truck and she's like, oh, hey, we're running blinds. You can just tell, like, she's either fired she's up or that she's inflection not. in her voice. Yeah, it's all inflection in Blondie's voice. So it's my job to get her off the truck, and if she's in that funk, bring her out of that funk and make her positive and happy and then coach her through any mistakes instead of come down on her, basically. If I come down on her in training, it goes to crap. Gotcha. So it's really about managing you know, my temperament, keeping it positive and teaching versus uh, testing, right? Like I'm not testing her to see if she can do this blind. I'm teaching. Um, and then Kenai is like two years old. I've had her for the last year. She's my buddy's dog, Bryce from Eastern View Outfitters. Mm-hmm. He's the guide up in Plattsburgh, New York that uh, took us on our Lake Champlain yep. fishing trip and does snow goose trips and all that good good stuff he's been hammering the geese so far oh he yeah saw. he said he to- he called me the other day he said he's not even posting pictures because he doesn't want people to know what he's doing up there so <laughs> on the dl <laughs> don't anybody go up to plattsburgh or bryce will call me and yell at me but he's doing well um he works really hard at his job but anyways keen eye two years old sweet pedigree and good little dog Again, same story. Like, on a good day, she'll pin every mark and run beautiful blinds. On a bad day, she acts like a two-year-old dog. You know, some of the really technical things that we are teaching are a little above her pay grade. A year from now, not at all. But it's still a young dog doing big dog stuff. And it's kind of like talking about Lincoln and Hudson. Like, they still acted like a puppy. They know how to mark. They know how to hunt. They know how to retrieve a bird, live or dead. But they acted like a dog that day, where as they age, those days become fewer and fewer and fewer. They become way more consistent. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So she's super consistent on singles. She's super consistent on doubles, sometimes at long bird triple, or even the short bird, like a check down bird, she'll roll past and, and have to come back and find it. Um, Can you explain to everyone what a check down bird is? What do you mean by that? So a check down bird would be like, the dog runs 100 yards for one mark, 130 yards for another mark, and then has to come back and find a bird that's at 25 yards. Right. So they have to check down instead of roll out, maybe, would make sense to people. No, I, I got you. So, you know, sometimes those will get her because she'll just, she wants to go. Um, and then sometimes blinds, like if I give her an angle left, she may dig back straight left. Instead of giving me those fine-tuned casts that you kind of need in the bigger games. Yeah. So if she takes my casts the way I need her to, and again, that's being a handler, you know, sure. not, not just a, a whatever. Um, you know, you got to handle the dog to the win. Not, right. I think we talked that about that with Clark last week. Like, Well, it's a partnership. It's not just being like, all right, go ahead, dog. Well, yeah, but knowing the dog and handling the dog and getting them through it versus just sending it. Right. So, anyways, big weekend ahead. Very excited. Now, I haven't even told Kevin this story. 
So this is this is breaking news to Kevin. <laughs> so Saturday night after my poor performance in junior, a couple buddies called me up and said, do you want to go scout for some geese, take the boat for a run, make sure the engine's working good, and we'll bring some decoys and our guns and see what we see. Really? Was it our boat? No, our oh, boat's okay. probably shot. I was going to say, uh, we need to do see that. See how the motor works to see if it floated. Hope that boat still floats. Um. So, anyways, me, Slippery Steve Salamone, and his brother Bubba, and Safe, the recent master hunter this summer. Mm-hmm. We go out, we scouted, boat runs nicely, uh, found some geese on the river, and then we cruised the lake and found a lot of ducks. We saw a widgeon, we saw a ton of teal. Really? Yep. Uh, a group of black ducks and a ton of mallards. It was really you know, just fun to see. Yeah. Bubba totally hit the prop on some rocks. Steve was you, pissed. You tell him that that's usually your move? Yeah, uh, twice last season. Yeah, actually, I think we need a new propeller. We do. We Make a mental boat. note, Kevin, off the yeah podcast. All right. All right. We'll everyone, cut that part where... No, everyone needs to know that Bob <laughs> broke the propeller, and now twice. we all need another propeller. Twice? Twice. Um. So anyways, now... I'm just going to tell people where we are. I don't really care. So we're on Onondaga Lake in Syracuse, and they just built a few years ago this beautiful amphitheater for concerts. It overlooks the lake. It's super cool venue, but the government funded a wetland restoration right near to the amphitheater. So there's like tons of great marshland that hold ducks and geese during hunting season. So we're going to post up right there and wait for them on the roost and shoot them and think they're coming. <laughs> well, as we get done scouting, we roll up to this marsh. A whole flood of people come into the amphitheater for a concert. No. Way. <laughs> You're so, kidding me. No. So we're like, oh, cool. This will be hilarious. They're going to watch us dump geese while they're watching a concert and just. They probably won't even be here able to hear gunshots. They'll just no, see geese, geese raining into the freaking <laughs> oh lake. God. No way. So we start. It's shallow, so we're just like putting in, putting in. And all of a sudden, we see this boat humming towards us. Humming. Whoop, whoop. Blue lights. Oh, we're like, oh, shoot. Dang. All right. Uh. Are we all legal? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I literally had just gotten my hip number on my phone and, like, put it on all my stuff. Like, yep, yep, yep. You know, just last minute. And I'm like, yeah, I'm legal. Yeah, I'm legal. We're all legal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, nothing to worry about them. Obviously, guys, you should be legal when you go hunting. Of course. It's a no-brainer. But then when you see cops, you're like, <laughs> zoom God, and ask. You're like, what did I do? What did I do? What yeah. do we got? You know, re- is the boat registered? You know, yeah, all, just all little the little thing, yeah. things that you kind of forget in September. You know what I mean? So, all right, <laughs> first trip out. Yeah, so we're good, right? Everybody's safe. Cops like are signaling and pointing for us to come to them. So we start slowly backing out. Yeah, pulled over on a boat. And they're like, now we're not going quick enough or something. They're like really waving to get out of there. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, boy. Sweating. Still legal, but something's (laughs) up. Like, cops don't just come humming. So we get out there, and they roll up to us, and they go, you didn't see the little red dot on your forehead from the sniper up there? No. They didn't really point a sniper rifle at us, but the snipers called us in 
and think about the day and age we are in, in the sick and twisted world we are with all these stupid mass shootings, they've got that place on lockdown. So I mean, that's a good thing. A hundred percent. Yeah, I have no problem with them oh, yeah, I mean, getting us out of there. But they're like, dude, you boys are th- – this whole section of the marsh and the amphitheater, like no boats can go in. So you can't pull your boat up and listen to the concert anymore. Really? Mm-hmm. Because what if you wanted to do a mass shooting and pull a boat up and just rake people down? It makes sense. In a sick no, twisted it, it, and our yeah. world is messed up way, it makes total sense. But – so we're like, jeez, no. And he's like, yeah, the freaking sniper's been phoning us to get you out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, all right, you know, sorry about that. And they were they were super nice and super yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, so who's it playing anyways? And he goes, Cardi B. I'm like, <laughs> well, we wouldn't want to be here anyways. We're out of here. And then we rolled. But that's that was our early goose hunt. We didn't kill anything, but it was a really fun evening after kind of a long, rough day. Yeah. To just go out with the boys and be in the boat again with the opportunity to possibly take a shot at a goose. So, anyways, let's uh, – <laughs> how do you transition from that one? You know, this is my segue. Let's get into the Instagram Q&A, Kevin. And we're back. We are on Instagram Live. Welcome to the show, everybody. Happy Tuesday, baby. All right. So, I had a lot of questions. If everybody watched our Instagram story from yesterday, yeah, yesterday. Um, anyways, we were using live ducks in the water, teaching the hunting dogs how to dive after a duck. You know, when you cripple a duck, they will dip, dive, dodge, duck, swim away, alligator crawl. Um, does that make sense, Kev? Oh, somebody's asking you a question. You're trying to read it. He's making nods. All right. So anyways, we got, and basically I said like, Hey, we're using shackled ducks and we're throwing marks for the, the dogs and they have to mark the bird and find it. So here's what happens every time. And this is why it's super beneficial to do something to like this with your dog before the dog's first hunt. Generally speaking, I'm pretty sure every single dog who'd never done it before swam to that duck where the mark fell while the duck's swimming away, quacking at them, and they start spinning in a circle like, hey, where's the dead duck? Well, the duck's not dead. <laughs> the duck's not dead, dog. It's swimming away, and right. you can see it, but they don't. it doesn't click in their brain because for the last three months, they've been picking up ducks or bumpers in the water or on land that are just dead and sitting there right so once they go to the area of the fall and hunt and find a dead bird they pick it up and bring it back to me well now they got one quacking at them and swimming away so it was my job to get them to get that bird so a couple times i grabbed like a clot of dirt and threw it at the duck and landed near it and they'd see the splash and they'd start chasing the duck um that usually helped or sometimes the duck would swim to shore and i'd toss it back out there And then they'd be like, oh, okay, I'll go get it. And then when it clicked in their brain that this is what I'm going for, game on. The chase was on. The duck would dive, uh, swim. Dog would be spinning in a circle looking for it. Duck would pop up. They'd chase it again. Duck, as soon as they go to lunge for it, duck would dive. And by the end of it, every single one of them learned how to dive underwater, grab that duck, or chase it down finally and catch it. 
um, all sorts of stuff. But they all were successful at it, and that's the key. But I got every question was, how do you shackle a duck? Now, a duck costs $15, if you're all wondering. And I have lost several, probably $50 worth of duck. Excuse me. mildly warm beer um they they asked me how to shackle and so i've lost many by doing it wrong or not doing it tight enough or what have you so basically what i do i have like surveyor's tape orange surveyor's tape and i will take their wings and pull them back basically and so they're I don't know. I guess I'm going to show it on Instagram live, but like you'd pin their wings back like this and then take the flag tape and just tie a loose knot. If you tie it too tight, they can't dive because the wings help them dive and swim underwater. Right. If you do it too loose, they're gone. See ya. $15. $15 flying away. $15 um, bill. Just flying away, quacking at you laughing. So... There is a fine art to being not too tight, not too loose, but that's the the key. Um, you know, at this point in my training, I'll add this little caveat. At this point in my training, I've built enough retrieve drive that if that duck, like, turns around and grabs a dog or something, they're, you know, they're not going to be upset about it. I'm going to hoot and holler and gear them up and fire them up for yeah. it. Um, now why, so can we just quick double back and, and why you think it's beneficial to do this? Not so much for the duck because every single dog that has not had it did not know that that duck was for him or her. They'd never done it before. Right. So that remember the whole, probably every episode you can go back and hear somebody or myself say your dog's first hunt shouldn't be the first time they see X. A boat, a dog stand, decoys, gunfire, a live, a live bird, right? And unless you're me and you shoot, you know, straight as an arrow and knock them dead every time, you're going to have crippled birds that are swimming away. And you know the alligator swim where their head's down and they, you can barely see them? The dog's got to figure that out. Look for a little wake. Look for movement on the water. Use their nose. So that's why we do it. And again, after one time, the dogs figured it out and then the game was on and we did maybe three marks with that duck and, you know, boy, the third mark, it was like, do not pass go. That duck dove, their head was underwater grabbing at it. Yeah. The best one was Hudson. He was like underwater back legs almost up. Really? Yeah. Like he pinned it to the ground underwater and pulled it out. Big man. Oh, I was fired up. That's great. Yeah, so that's how you shackle a duck. There's other ways to do it. Like, I've heard people doing tape, duct tape or something. That, when you take the duct tape off the duck's wings, it'll rip the feathers out, and it'll damage the duck. And if you re... Like, if the dog's gentle with the duck, you can reuse the duck, and they'll just, like, puff up, fan out, preen themselves, and they're good as gold. Um, So, it, it truthfully doesn't really hurt the duck. It shouldn't, in essence, and you can reuse the duck and keep them alive and keep training with that same duck over and over again. It's economical. It is also economical. Um, we had a good question. Uh, so we've this time of year, we've had a few dogs go home, 
Um, are you but, talking to me or that person's talking like that? I'm talking to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. So we've had a few dogs go home. Uh, what are some things that we're doing with dogs right before they go home to kind of just polish everything up, make sure that everything is prepped for hunting season, maybe things that people should do, uh, like uh, we just had Dutch go home. Sure. Good question. Anything so you do with Dutch to make sure he's on they point? Before they go home, yeah. Before they, they go home, they just need to be well-versed in everything, but I'm doing a lot more steadiness drills. I'm not throwing 150-yard marks and teaching them crazy concepts. I'm shortening things up and making them be steady. I'm shooting rounds over their head with like a primer, the primer pistol or a 12 gauge shotgun with primer loads, like blanks basically. Um, getting them in and out of the dog stands, the live bird thing. Um, you know, if they're a pointing dog, we're shooting over them a bunch and getting them to retrieve birds and mark birds off of a point. Um, what are you going to see in a hunt? That's what we're doing. So that first three months, basically I'm doing collar conditioning, force fetch, teaching them how to mark, how to hunt, you know, good delivery to hand, uh, all the tools that they need. And I'm teaching them long marks, short marks, all that jazz. That last month is like you're icing on the cake where you put all those tools together, all the things you've taught, and then actually try and make the most realistic scenario possible for them to put the pieces of the puzzle together and and go out on a hunt and be like, oh, it's not that much different than training. Yeah. But the kicker is, no matter how well they're trained, there's still nothing that compares to a real hunt. Sitting still for two hours and not seeing anything. You know, ducks flying in at first light where it's pretty dark and they don't really mark them, they just see a splash. Or they don't literally mark them at all, and you've got to help them get there. Um, one thing I do for, like, Lincoln's owner came out today, and he's like, so what do I got to do? October 5th, he's going on his first hunt. What do I got to do? I always carry a dozen rocks, golf ball size rocks. It, if your dog doesn't handle, you know, stopping a whistle and cast and stuff, and even if they do, and it's still their first hunt or first few hunts or the first hunt back into the season, all that jazz, have some rocks in your blind bag and help them. If you got to throw a rock towards a duck to get them in the area to hunt or throw them in the reeds and to get see a splash, a splash. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's going to help them find that bird be successful. Now the next one that goes down, they're going to be more apt to find it easier. Definitely, definitely, like BYO rocks. Uh, remember we were hunting – Assateague Island with Birdie. I was throwing <laughs> heavy uh, metal shotgun shells. Uh, black Cloud. Well, at least they were Black Cloud and not heavy metal. Yeah, but it was like a dollar per. Yeah, I went through about a suck. box just <laughs> trying to go through and be like, no, no, over here, over here. Yeah. You do what you got to do. Yeah, you do what you got to do. That was one of her first duck hunts, too. Yeah. If not the first. I can't remember. Second. Right. And she ended up doing really, really well. Yeah. Um, another thing that hunt brings up is it was freezing cold. Yep. And Birdie started to shut down. We were, we, I, was <laughs> swatting buffalo heads Get like a mother. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. We all were. And it was like a, just a buffalo head shoot. There was nothing else in the area, and we were just going to town on buffalo heads. 
and it was ice cold and over and over and over again she's like as she's coming back with another one she's got to go for another one and she just kind of shut down it was just too much for a young dog and it was cold and so we learned a valuable lesson yeah that she was okay yeah she wasn't hypothermic or anything no no no. but but she was cold and she was tired and she was like this isn't fun anymore you keep sending me back out there in the waves and ice and freezing my butt off here for damn (laughs) bufflehead and uh you know so keep that in mind like have your dog's best interest in mind you know, we kept her steady. All those things are really, really important on the first hunt. It's a learning experience. All the things you've trained or your trainer has trained into that dog, now you have to keep it tight yeah. and teach. Keep your gun at home. Go ahead. What else you got? <clears throat> one, uh, I had a good one from Team Far 88. Uh, <laughs> do you guys always heal your dog 24-7 or just in the field and training? So maybe talk about, like, why you heal so much. Uh, to answer this question, I don't really heal that much. Um, but maybe obedience to get them in their mindset. Yeah, like, so, I mean, obedience is key to having a good gun dog. It gives you control. We got to go get Andy. Andy's barking in the background, if you all can hear. Speaking of control. Speaking of control, Raggedy Andy needs a bark collar. <clears throat> she lives with Kevin for two months, and this is what I get. She's a good dog. She's a good dog. Anyways, back to the question. Obedience is is essential to having a good gun dog. So I'm always tweaking obedience, and I always hold my dogs to a high standard, and I always practice it. But at the same time, I also let them be a dog. As long as they listen to me when I call them or tell do what I tell them, they're good. So if we're hiking, no, they don't have to be at heel. If we're in a crowded area, yes. If we're walking to the line to train, Yes. Um, if I'm going to a duck blind, let's say we're hunting a, with a, a a bunch of people, a lot of people around, I'm probably going to air my dog at a distance, make sure that she's under control, and then I'm going to keep her under control around everybody because everybody's got nice guns, nice equipment, other dogs are around probably being jerks, and I don't want mine to be in that mix and have people say, oh, don't bring that dog. You know, she was a wild one. No, have your dog under control, and you're good. What else you got, Kev? I uh, had a really good question uh, about e-collars, and how do you know when you're on the right level for your dog when you're trying to nick them? Okay. That's a good one. That is a good one. So my rule of thumb is least amount of pressure to get the desired response. So when you are trying to find out the level that your dog works at, you start at zero, and I'll either do here or heel when I'm teaching it, and I'll scale up. So the collar that I recommend to every like day trainer and hunting dog guy is the 1900S. There's other options out there. Um, you know, if you're an upland bird dog guy, the dog has other options. But for your waterfowl dog and dog training, 1900S is super versatile, really well built good good unit um and affordable it's not the highest of high end it's also not your that's what i use on my dogs yeah yeah it's not your walmart special or dick's sporting goods special it's a good unit um so on the 1900s it's zero to 127 stimulation level 
Nick or continuous. So generally speaking, we're going to use, I use Nick a lot on the bigger dogs with different concepts. I'll use continuous and in a Nick form so I can elongate my stimulation if I need to. But basically you're going to, let's just say heel. You're going to heel your dog around on lead with the e-collar on zero. I guarantee you zero doesn't feel anything, five doesn't feel anything, and maybe at 10 they can start feeling it. Maybe. You're looking for a dog who already knows heel to start responding quicker to the collar. So so they're starting to feel it and react and respond to it. And then you're going to dial it up, and if they're going to respond a little bit quicker and a little bit quicker, and then you can maybe see a little bit of a head twitch or their muscles twitch or whatever, you want to maybe back it back down at that point. So I use the least amount of pressure to get the desired response. If your dog's energy level is super excited and they're fired up, you're gonna and they normally work on a twenty, you're probably gonna need a thirty or a forty or a fifty or a ninety to match to match their energy level or gently exceed it. Right. And then you calm them back down, bring them back down, you bring it back down to the dog's normal working level, back to that fifteen or twenty. Okay. So. I'll scale it up to get my correction, and I'll scale it back down to give my my light correction that's when they're chilled out and being more normal. Um, so you have to – that's how you figure out your dog's level is you start at zero, and you start gently increasing it until you get the response you need. And I don't mean this in a mean way, but, like, if you can't tell, your collar might not be on. Like – you're well, gonna or hit. that, like, depending on different dog breeds, like, it can't get into their fur. And well, stuff. that's a good I mean, point, Kev. Know? Yeah, a lot of those thick-coated dogs, like, we have a Nova Scotia duck toning retriever um, and, and a lot of golden retrievers or even some chessies with real thick coats. The prongs on the collar won't be touching them because their coat's so thick, and so the stimulation is going to be super, super light. So you either can get additional longer length prongs that can like get into that fur and be longer than the fur, or even I've heard people take like beard trimmers um, and just trim a little bare spot where that collar rests, and that's where they can get their stimulation. So they can use a really low level without, you know, clogging up with hair. So that's how I do that. What yeah. else you got, buddy? Uh, Nate. What's your favorite drills to straighten and reinforce a dog's line going back? Actually, you were doing lining drills today, you said, right? Yep. What were you doing today and why? All right. That's a good question, brother. Um, this is a drill that I did when I lived in South Carolina, and and it really is great for building confidence, good initial lines, and holding a good line. And basically, they're called lining paths. So we took a riding lawnmower in our field, and we cut three legs. A lot of people do four or five. I had room for three. So we did three. All different lengths, but they're pretty stretched out. And we've got white poles with a white milk jug on top, really black and white. Um, One is straight up a straight one. Next one goes really tight to a tree, and the next one goes tight to a tree and then kind of dips off a side hill if you will um so the dog's got to hold a line against that side hill but that's one so you would teach it by you know walking halfway back so they're already forced to a pile they already 
probably through T pattern or almost through T pattern. They understand the command back means back. And I'm going to start, like, my lining pass are probably 125 yards, 150 yards, and 100 yards. Just kind of how it's broken up. Some of them can be longer, some of them can be shorter, whatever. It also is a great way to teach the dog to pull and push and move and look at different things and look out good. But you're going you're gonna to start out halfway, run it. Back up three quarters, run it. Back up all the way, run it. Go to the next one. Bang, bang, bang. Bang, bang, bang. Done. Day later, two days later, start 75% of the way, then all the way back. Then 75% of the way, and then all the way back, and then 75% of the way, all the way back. Third day, you're going, what? Who made a comment? You just smirked. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the hat. You guys are awesome. So, um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, so now let's say your third or fourth day, this dog comes to the line at your lining pass and is now confident looking out. Now you can start at your starting point and you can pick which line you need to take them on and you can pull and push with here and heel and they'll hold a longer, straighter line by doing that. There's pros and cons to a lining path. One pro would be... Um, one pro would be builds confidence, builds good initial line, gets them holding that line longer. One con, let's say they hit a roadway or a cut strip. They're going to hit that and run it. You've taught them to run it. So you don't do this all the time. You don't do it too often, but it's a really great way to build confidence in a younger dog or revisiting it with older dogs like all those dogs we talked about earlier in the podcast right now are getting like a week refresher of good just this good stuff real build really good confident building stuff um so if you overdo it it's kind of like being life if you you're out of balance in life not good um if you're doing certain things too much if you're eating too much ice cream not good all right debatable so, yeah debatable. Good life advice though um yeah very debatable but that, so that's a good one. Then you could go to what we'd call a pattern blind, white pole blind with a milk jug on top or a white bucket on top. We talked about that with Clark Kennington. Clark Kennington is running the crown at the Super Retriever Series, and guess what? He still uses white buckets and white bolt, uh, poles to build confidence on, on really long blinds with challenging concepts to teach. We're teaching. So... You know, I got a comment from maybe even that same guy, like, hey, my dog breaks down and starts to hunt at 60 yards. Use the lining paths. Use white buckets and white poles. Teach it. Back up, back up, back up. Come back a day later. Run it again from a little further away. And just build confidence rolling and holding a line. Does that answer that? Yeah. No, that's real good. We got we got one more. Very um, good. Uh, only one Frida's. Working with a whistle, is it a good idea to blow the whistle on the way back after retrieving the bumper to help learn sitting on the whistle, or do you have any recommendations? Yeah, awesome question. Uh, yes. Good question. All right, everybody. <laughs> nah, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, so it's easier to stop a dog coming to you than when they're going away. Why? Their momentum is going where they want to go, or you've forced them to go, like forcing to a pile. 
they're driving back. So now if you want to stop them, they're like, whoa, 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 bro, you told me to go. Now you want me to stop. So if you stop them coming to you, it's a lot easier, okay? How how would you stop them, like, other than a whistle, is there anything else you would do to maybe, like, I mean, we've reviewed this in another podcast, so I'll do it again, obviously, but, you know, it's definitely in some other podcast. So if this tip isn't, like, as in-depth, I'm pretty sure we've, we've nailed it in others. So binge listen, clearly. 36 other episodes. Also leave all, reviews. All in one day. <laughs> subscribe. Right. So anyways, how I teach the whistle set is I start at heel. You get it good at heel. Maybe you use the lead. Maybe you use a little healing stick. Maybe you use a little e-collar stimulation. You intermix all these things at heel. Now the dog is really qu- quickly sitting on the whistle. Now I'm going to sit that dog away from me, call him to me, blow my whistle, and get him to sit. I'm going to walk towards them quickly, and they're going to be like, whoa. Oh. And that literally, you're going to see them go, whoa. And that mo- momentum backwards is going to get their butt to hit the ground. If it doesn't, anything in your power to get that dog to sit. And then be like, oh, hey, good dog. Back up again. Here. Toot. Sit. Toot. Sit. And get them to sit. Um, I've also done the e-collar. I'll strap the e-collar around their waist and put the prongs on their back. And give Nick's low-level Nick, that pressure is going to be coming downward, pushing that butt down. As soon as the butt hits the ground, pressure's off. Hey, good dog. So that's a little more advanced, I would say. Not easy to do, probably not for a first-timer, but it works. Then you can do things like taking them for a walk in the yard. Toot. They stop and look. Sit. Toot, sit. Oh, they sit, throw them a fun bumper. Now every time they toot, they hear a toot, they turn around and look and going to get a fun bumper. So there's a lot of ways to skin this cat, but the answer to the question is it's way easier to stop a dog coming to you than going away. So it's another way to increase their ability to sit on the whistle and the teaching of it by doing that. We got a last-minute one. Okay, go for it. Yeah, uh I'm assuming just a personal preference here, but do you train your dogs to heal on both sides? Why or why not? I teach my dogs one side. Why? All right. So first thing, let's talk about why you would maybe want to do it on both sides. A lot of people who heal their dog on both sides, I guess, all right, dang, this is going to get more in depth. So let's think about this. If we're in a duck boat and we got to spin this thing and the dog's only comfortable working from my left side and I need it to sit on my right side, I have to make the dog comfortable by just all... They need to just be comfortable. If I tell them to do something, they need to just be cool doing it. And so you have to train for all different situations. Um, does that make sense? Like, it's not just... They are always on my left side, and if you ever put them on your right side, they're going to constantly try and get to your left because their whole life they've been on your left. So it is good to mix it up. In field trials, a lot of people will heal them on, they call it double-sided healing, so they'll heal on the left or the right because they want to point out a gun, a gun station where a bird is coming from, and say, this bird is thrown left to right, 
And if I put that dog on my right side, it knows that the bird's on the right side of the gun. So it'll stay on the right side of the gun and find the bird. If it's thrown left or right, they're going to stay on the left side. No, right to left. Then it's coming out on the left side of the gun. They're going to go to the left side of the gun if they're on my left. Or it can also be beneficial if you need to, like, get tight to the water. And so you heal them on the other side and you can take more water on your mark. And you're, like, trying to win a field trial. Here's my thing, and here's what in the Mike Lardy and, oh, well, who was it? Lardy and uh, Farmer, Danny Farmer seminar that they did. Both of them used to do that, and now they rarely, if ever, do. If that dog saw the mark, it's going to go get the mark. If you point the dog in a direction and you've trained them to go where you tell them to go, it's going to go where you tell them to go. Whether it's on the right or left, it's going to mark a bird and go and do it. Or it's going to go and hold a straight line. I'm sure there's, in a field trial, there's definitely scenarios. But if two of the best guys in our country of all time retriever training have now said that double-sided healing isn't as important as people once thought it was, take that into consideration. Not freaking Lone Duck Bob. Those guys are the best in the world, okay? Seriously. They're the best. So I don't do it because it's still my answer is, If they saw the bird go down, they're going to go and get it no matter what side they're on. But I do think it's beneficial to get your dog savvy enough and comfortable with other things to where you can be on both sides of it, and it'll do the work. If you don't, and you've been like super, super, super strict on that dog for being on your left, which is good. You need to be super strict on them. Then when you need them on your right, like in a duck blind or something, they might constantly be like fumbling around trying to get to your other side. So take it with a grain of salt. Don't listen to me and Kevin. You guys are crazy. What are you doing? No, I'm kidding. But that's that's my two cents on the old double-sided healing. All right, guys. Happy Lone Duck Gundog Chronicles Day to you. Thank you for tuning in. As always... Get outside with your dog, have some fun, and get ready for duck season 2019-2020. Cheers. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outers. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.